Part nine of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lige's Legacy, Chapter Two: A Question of Conscience. There was no help for it. Sam Speck was being driven into cynicism in spite of himself. It was his duty, he knew, to fight against the tendency, and he did so. But sometimes circumstances seemed altogether too strong for him. Here was a case in point. He thought he knew his old friend Lige. He boasted, in fact, that he could read him like a book. Nothing, he thought, would ever change Lige much. And here, as soon as ever there was a prospect of an improvement in his financial position, he was becoming sly and mysterious, and was changing from the most open-hearted and least worldly of spirits to a calculating, reticent and money-loving soul. Lige's sudden enrichment was, of course, the chief topic of conversation round the clog-shop fire, but Sam marked with concern that whilst the road-mender was ready enough to hear others discuss his prospects, he said very little about them himself, and it was not until about nine o'clock in the evening, when the company was largest and discussion most stimulating, that Lige opened his mind about his future intentions at all. When thus temporarily elated by congratulations and encouragements, Lige would assert vociferously what he intended to do. But Sam observed with misgivings that he not only made no allusions to his intentions next morning, but could not be drawn to speak about them at all. For instance, Lige had been apprehensive for some time that his rheumatism would before long prevent him working and compel him to relinquish his situation. And now, when he had ample means to keep him without work, he seemed to have become suddenly very much in love with it. Two or three times Sam had turned the conversation so as to bring this question to the front, and under the influence of popular opinion, Lige had resolved to give up his employment. On one or two occasions he had got excited about the matter, and openly declared, "'We'll never break another stone while I'm wick!' But next morning Sam had discovered him, hammering away as usual on a heap of stones, or digging clumps of weeds out of the gutters. And now Lige had actually come into possession of his fortune, and Sam had been with him to make the final call upon the lawyer at Whipham, and to bring his cash and deposit it in the Duxbury Bank. It was long past noon by the time they had finished their business, and Sam was hungry. Two or three times he had dropped palpable hints about his condition, but Lige only seemed to understand when the hints became plain, unvarnished avowals of hunger. And even then, instead of taking him to a decent inn, Lige led him off to an old-fashioned cook-shop, and ordered, as if he had been calling for turtle soup, two plates of tatey pie, big uns. And Sam noticed, as a painful confirmation of his fears, that though the road-mender had twenty pounds to his certain knowledge in a little bag in his left-hand pocket, yet he paid for the repast out of the few spare pence he carried in the other pocket. After dinner, as they had to wait a couple of hours for the coach, they walked about the town and inspected the shops. Sam pulled up before every clothier's shop he came to, but neither broad hints nor excessive commendation of certain patterns of cloth and suits of clothes had the least effect on Lige. And when Sam, exercised in his mind about the rapid deterioration and threatened spiritual destruction of a man who had grown miserly on the very first day of his affluence, 
pointedly admired a certain stylish overcoat and recommended its prompt purchase lige seemed to become suddenly suspicious and sly and wriggled out of making the purchase on some most trivial pretext and of course sam could not tell his friend plain out that his best clothes had been green and shabby for years all these things were very depressing to our mercurial friend but when he discovered that lige was going back to beckside on the day when he had come into formal possession of his inheritance and with twenty pounds sterling in his pocket without taking even so much as half a pound of tobacco back to his friends at the clog shop wherewith to celebrate the occasion he came dangerously near to wishing that his old friend had remained poor and was almost thankful that the fortune had not come to himself to tempt him two or three times as they travelled home on the coach he glanced thoughtfully at the roadmender's face and was almost certain that he perceived signs there that the hardening process had already begun sitting at the clog shop fire that night sam kept a careful watch on lige making as he did so many pessimistic notes on the weakness of human nature lige received the congratulations of his friends with a becoming show of meekness took all chafe in good part and even joked himself about his good luck but for all that sam could see that he was a changed man and was fast becoming grasping and worldly as the evening went on sam resolved that he would remain behind and inform jabe of his suspicions but the rest would not go lige an early riser and therefore one of the first to depart of an evening would not go and long ben who was supposed to live in wholesome fear of his wife seemed also reluctant to leave and when sam remarked as a kind of suggestive hint that it was time to be piking he was provoked and perplexed to see both lige and the carpenter deliberately commence recharging their pipes to make it worse as he himself started the movement for home he found himself obliged in common consistency to follow it up and so after standing about for a little time and going to the door and then coming back again some two or three times he was reluctantly compelled to depart leaving lige sitting in most aggravating contentment by the fire when he reached his own door which was on the other side of the road going to the mill he still felt uneasy and most unaccountably curious and when he saw long ben leave the clog shop a minute or two later and realised that now lige and jabe would be alone it was all he could do to restrain himself from going back and bursting in upon them excuse or no excuse meanwhile jabe and lige sat quietly smoking in the ingle nook lige having a very abstracted look on his face the clogger eyed him over with quiet interest two or three times as if speculating as to what was going on in his mind but neither spoke presently however lige leaned back in the nook and putting his feet on the bench on which he sat he asked taking his pipe out of his mouth and putting his head slightly on one side in an argumentative attitude nah how much a wick dost think a chap like me out to give away jabe what cried the clogger with a curl of his lip is the brass brunnin thee pockets out already would rather it a brun me pocket nor freeze me soul was the reply after a moment's silence jabe said the jews used to give a tenth how much is a tenth of twenty-five shillin was the next question oh for gran now it was time for lige's lip to curl 
and it did so until he looked positively fierce with scorn. Well, as thout them Jews were skinnions, well, that cops o'er, the greedy wastrels. Where? What does thou think folk out to give? asked Jabe in lazy curiosity. Don't know off bith t'other, for sure, was the reply. Jabe burst into a great laugh, a laugh which somehow had to be very loud in order to prevent it becoming something quite different. In the midst of it, however, a thought seemed to strike him, and bending forward, he asked very seriously, "'There's brought some brass warm with thee to-day, "'Aye,' said Lige, Twenty pound. And he hit the outside of his trousers' pocket to indicate that he had it with him. "'Thou'd better leave it with me to tack Coram for thee.' Now, though he made this proposal very seriously, the clogger did not really expect that Lige would comply and so he was a little taken aback when the road-mender drew a greasy bag out of his pocket and handed it to him. "'Jabe, owd lad,' he said softly, "'I haven't has spent a penny of me fortin yet, and I'm no going to do till Flaud's had the fust pick. There's twenty pound i that bag, and all want the trustees to buy a new coffee-pot for the communion table. Solid gould if it'll reach to it.' Jabe stared at his friend in amazement but Lige was proceeding. When o'er with poor steward twenty years in, and the plate-box were kept at our arse, our Jane used to say, when who were cleaning the vessels, as if who had the brass, who tack cur as they shouldn't put the best wine of the kingdom into a pewter pot, as if it were sixpenny ale. And ever sin who died, who've been living the hopes of seeing her again, and up yond, where who is, they known about this fort in the morning, and our Jane's telling em o'er. He'll be getting summat gradely to put th' wine in, you'll see. And if o'er done a jabe, o'er down a face her up, oh, that's God's truth, lad. The clogger had no answer to an argument like this. He stared before him, and sniffed and cleared his throat, and in the end had to get up and turn his back on his companion. When he recovered himself, he said, "'I oh, ne'er heard o' no ghoul communion services. "'They allus use and silver. "'But thou can buy a wool set, thou knows.' "'And so it was settled. "'And as Lige left the cloggery, "'he was astonished at the clogger, "'who actually took him by the hand "'and gave it a limp, timid sort of shake, "'as if he were unable to resist doing so, "'and yet felt ashamed of it, "'murmuring huskily as he did so, "'God bless thee, lad!' Oh, dunna think thee brass'll spile thee. When Sam Speck heard of Lige's proposal, his feelings were very much divided. He was inclined to feel injured that Lige had not taken him into his confidence about the matter, and yet he felt so ashamed of himself for having harboured suspicions of his friend that he refused himself the pleasure of rating Lige about it as a sort of penance. Still, there was one thing that greatly exercised his mind. Why did not Lige give up his employment? He talked of doing so, vowed again and again he would do it, fixed the time for so doing more than once, and yet every morning found him going forth, as usual, with pick and shovel and long-shafted hammer to his work. A week or two passed, and still no signs of Lige's retirement. And at last, unable longer to endure, Sam opened out upon his friend as they sat by the clog-shop fire. "'That a bonny man to be takin' th' mate out o' folks' mouths. 
Lige looked up in wonder. He had a feeling that somehow the relations between him and his friend were not so cordial as they used to be. But he could think of no cause for it, and so he answered rather curtly, "'Ah, what's up with thee?' Sam cocked his elbow on his knee and steadied his pipe in his mouth, and then, removing it for a moment, went on. "'A chap as has twenty-five shilling a wick coming in, and a hundred pound in the bank, looks well breaking stones and filling cart-ruts, and taking wage as other folks are starving for.' Lige winced, but he wasn't going to be taught his duty by so comparatively juvenile a person as Sam, and so he replied, oh, "'I reckon thou wants the job thyself.' Thou looks like a felly as is starving, surely. Oh, I tell thee, persisted Sam, as there's three in em as all know on as is waiting for the shop, and it's nowt but robbery. Sam spoke with warmth, and the situation was getting somewhat strained, and so Long Ben from the inside corner of the nook chimed in to create a diversion. Has been to the opening gate lately, Liger? but this subject seemed to be quite as troublesome to Lige as the one Sam had started, and so, to escape further banterings, he remembered a bit of errand, and disappeared, leaving Sam receiving a mild reproof from the carpenter. But Lige could not quite get rid of the question Sam had thus pointedly raised, and as he stood next day on the top of a heap of stones, a little higher up the road than the chapel, he mused thoughtfully on the previous night's conversation. The fact was, now that he had the chance of giving up work altogether, he discovered an interest in it which he had never realised before, and found himself strangely reluctant to change. And then he was more jealous of any tendency to get vain because of his riches than ever Sam could be for him, and suspected himself of all sorts of grasping propensities, and was rather glad, therefore, to continue his work as a means of keeping the natural man in subjection. The point raised by Sam had never occurred to him, and he at once began to feel very guilty about it. Then the remembrance of Ben's interjected question came back to him. Away from the curious eyes of his associates, he could afford to think as long and as freely as he liked on the matter, and a smirk of satisfaction came upon his face, as he realised that his change of fortune had immensely improved his matrimonial prospects. But all at once the smile vanished from his lips. A look of perplexity came into his plain old face, as if he were trying to recall something that eluded his pursuit. Then his face became portentously long, a deep sigh escaped him, and limply dropping his hammer, he got down from the stone heap and propped himself against the wall to think but the more he thought, the worse he became. He passed his hands over his brow, rubbed uneasily at his stubbly chin, scratched both sides of his head at once, and wriggled and twisted as if in the grip of someone who was torturing him. Then he stepped into the middle of the road, looked dazedly round at the horizon with a helpless, appealing sort of look, and a moment later he plunged off down the brew in a walk which only just escaped being a trot. He was making, of course, for the clog shop, and as he reached it, he burst open the door, and ignoring the fact that Jabe was serving a customer, cried excitedly, "'Wee, Jabe, the fortin is the mine!' Now the customer was a newcomer in the village, and was rashly attempting to banter the clogger about the price charged for clogging, 
a thing which every Becksider knew better than do, and she had consequently stirred up the old Adam in him. And so he replied in his crustiest tones, "'Whose else is it, thou lumpyed?' But seeing that Lige was very much excited, he added more mildly, "'Go and sit down with thee.' But Lige was too distressed to sit, and so, staring wildly at Jabe, he cried out, almost in tears, "'Eh, mon, it's hers!' Jabe now realised that the matter was serious, and so, entirely ignoring the astounded customer, he put on his spectacles and, carefully surveying the road-mender, demanded, "'Whose? Hers! Oh, tell thee!' shouted Lige, almost beside himself. "'Jane Anne's thy nose! Hast forgotten as who were his chance child? It's hers, mon! It's no moine at o'er!' Jabe carefully counted out the change for the customer, and then actually came round the corner of the counter to open the door for her. Then he carefully closed it, walked back to his place again, and turning round, looked Lige steadily in the face. The fact was that for once speech had entirely forsaken the old clogger. The Jane Anne alluded to was the very leech-keeping woman whom Lige had been so unsuccessfully wooing, and whose origin had been almost forgotten at the end of her forty-odd years of life. And when Jabe really grasped the whole situation as it spread itself before his mind, it simply took away both breath and speech. Presently, more to relieve the tension than with any idea that he was helping matters, he said, "'Ah, can it be hers when it were left to thee?' And Lige replied, as Jabe knew he would, when he said, "'Hers!' "'It is hers. Who's his doubter, mon?' "'Jabe's perplexity was so sore that it galled and vexed him, "'and so he replied hotly, "'What's left of these thine, isn't it, thou numbskull?' "'But Lige was indignant, with an indignation curiously blended with reluctance, "'and so he replied, as if there was some sort of melancholy gratification "'to be got out of making the facts look as inexorable as possible.' Her feyther robbed her, and now o mum robber. Is that what that means? With a gesture of despairing anger, Jabe turned his back on his friend, and limping heavily to the fire, dropped down upon a stool, looking the very picture of helpless distress. And in a moment or so, Lige joined him, looking, if possible, more miserable still. After sitting staring into the fire for a long time, Jabe, in surly tones, ordered Isaac to fetch Long Ben. This was no time for half-measures. Jabe was on the rack, and if he felt like that, what must Lige be enduring? It seemed as though Ben would never come, although he had started the moment he was summoned. But when he did arrive, and had been put in possession of the facts of the case, the look on his face banished from Jabe's heart any hope that his more resourceful friend would be able to find a way out. There the three sat. Each man knew how easy and natural it would be to take the way of the world and its legal sanctions, and be satisfied, or at most make some little allowance to the neglected and overlooked daughter. But each man saw also the inexorable requirements of righteousness, and to say that they quailed before it is but to say that they were men. "'He happen had some reason for no leaving it to her,' said Jabe at length, more to start discussion than from any faith in his own arguments. 
who ne'er did nowt to hurt him in her life said lige sternly nobbut keeping on livin well thou couldn't give her summat so mitch a wick or summat ay or else mak a will and leave it all to her added ben lige lifted up a haggard face and asked quietly would you the countenances of the two friends dropped again and there was a long silence at last lige lifted his head and asked with an effort which on you's going to th lawyers with me in th morn a startled look came into jabe's eyes he jumped to his feet liger he cried with intense earnestness promise me two things first as thou'll wait a wick afore thou does out and second as thou'll no mention it to a soul till th wick's up now promise a week's respite seemed a little heaven to long ben and so he earnestly supported jabe's request and truth to tell poor lige was not unwilling to postpone so momentous a decision then ben said he must go back to work and lige decided to do the same and as he passed the shop window with strained and heavy look jabe gazing sorrowfully after him murmured god help thee Elijah. That poor and owd and simple, but if thou comes out o' this other each side, thou'll be the best mon among us. End of part nine.